0: the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.
1: Hey, everybody! Welcome to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. And wow, do we have a lot to talk about! Uh, the collective bargaining agreement that we had been waiting on for so long. Uh, since we last spoke to you uh, there's an agreement and now we have an absolute flood of things to talk about we will uh, first of all the the trade market opened with a bang we have uh, five different uh, trades that involve prospects to talk to you about Uh, so we'll break down each one of those in a timely manner we're going to give jim and jonathan 60 seconds each to weigh in on each of these trades that involve prospects that have happened over the past three or four days. Um, We are also going to talk about the new CBA and the impact that it will have on the draft and a potential international draft and service time manipulation. Um, And mixed in with all of this, it is list season and we are in the middle of putting out all of the 2022 prospect rankings, which is always a just an absolute frenzy for us. And it's typically done in January and February during the off season, and it's a little slower. And now it's just crammed in with a delayed hot stove season. So we have like a hot stove spring training list season mashup, and it's a wild time. So we'll get into our list a little bit. Also, uh, it was announced recently that uh, there are some experimental rules in the minor leagues this year. We're going to talk about those a little bit, and we'll finally get to the mailbag and answer a question there to wrap things up. Jim and Jonathan, I know, man, when uh, you know, in July when we had the futures game and the draft on the same day, we were you know that single day it was just we we said then the craziest day that that we'd ever experienced. In this profession, um, I'm not going to equate any single day um, over the past week with that, but this th- this is one of the wilder weeks, is it not? Well, you know it's, it,
2: what it reminds me of, Jason, was just because of the way the schedule changed at, with the draft being so far later, it affected when we did our top 30 lists. And we were dealing with the trade deadline while we had old lists up and we're trying to get new lists done. And it was just a huge mess more than usual. And I know what my thinking was at the time, well, OK, at least in the off season it won't be this bad. But because of the lockout and now it being resolved and we have the resulting transaction frenzy, it, it feels like the exact same situation to me. I know Jonathan's probably I can't see Jonathan because we're not together, but uh, he's probably rolling his eyes because it seems like almost all the trades have involved at least one and maybe both teams. In many cases, Jonathan's teams he does top 30s for, which so he's got to rearrange the list that's up on our site now, as well as the list that will appear on our site next week when they're updated. But that's what it reminds me of.
3: Yeah, it uh th- add you know, throwing the fact that I was running around Florida for ten days right before this, uh it certainly adds to the uh the frenzied the, the degree of difficulty. Yeah, we yes. yeah. I didn't even
1: mention the fact that you guys are <clears throat> you guys are each, uh Jim, Jonathan, and also Sam Dykstra, hitting all thirty spring training camps over the course of thirty days. Uh so yeah, add that in there too. Um, yeah, so we knew that we knew that once an agreement was reached, it was going to trigger just a, a flurry of activity, and that's exactly what happened. Trades, free agent signings—you um, know, some some of those could affect the draft order. Uh, we are waiting on the competitive balance uh, round order to be announced, so we'll have the the final draft order uh, pending any changes in the order based on uh those free agent signings and of course that's for this year's draft order and then we're still trying to kind of digest how the draft order is going to shake out uh in the future now with with the new uh CBA and how that impacts the draft so we'll we'll get to that in a bit um for now let's dig into these trades uh starting on Saturday so uh, the timeline was what the agreement was reached on Thursday. Is that right? That sounds right. Yes. And then, and then, you know, I think there was like about a 24 hour period, maybe a little bit more before things really started flying. And the first trade we had, uh, was on Saturday and, uh, the first one involving a prospect. And I, I think, is it right that there's only been, is there only been one trade that has not involved a prospect? What
2: trade was that? Cause I'm I've mean, i got the prospect yeah. blinders on, so I don't even. It know. was the, it was the
1: the Yankees trade, right?
2: Oh, oh, the, right. Yes, the Gary yeah. Sanchez to the Yankees Twins, to Josh Twins to the Yankees. Yeah, that was the
1: one where we had a little uh, sigh of relief, and that was a late night trade too. Uh, but I think, it, off the top of my head, I think that's the only one that hasn't involved a prospect. But first one, uh, Ronnie Enriquez uh, to the Twins from the Rangers. In the Mitch Garver deal, Um, this is not the probably highest profile trade out of the first few, but we were just getting warmed up. Uh, So the way we're going to do that, oh, and we said we're going to time this. I said we're going to give Jim and Jonathan sixty seconds each uh, to weigh in on each trade. Otherwise, the whole
2: podcast could be
1: trade talk. (laughs) Yeah, no, we, we, I mean, we we could do an entire podcast on any one of the individual sections that we have here today. There's just so much to talk about. Uh, but we're going to try to pack it in. So let's go with the first trade here. And uh, Jim, I'll put you on the clock first. Your, okay. your 60 seconds begins now.
2: Okay. Well, it's, you know, Rangers obviously spent the offseason right before the lockout loading up on infielders. So it made Isaiah Kiner of a little expendable. Although I guess they could have slid him back over to third, you know, they get a catcher from the twins Mitch Garver. And, and you know, for us to me, the most interesting guys are always the prospects involved in these trades because of what we do. And, and I like Ronnie Henriquez. I do our Rangers list. He's a smaller guy who can throw 90 up to 98 miles an hour, 92, 96, with good carry up in the zone flash pair plus secondary pitches, throws strikes. He's not real big, but I think with the stuff and the strike throwing, he's got a chance to start. And I will admit for selfish reasons, I was happy about this trade because the Rangers, I think, are one of the deeper farm systems. And I was agonizing over leaving guys off the top 30, which will be out next week. And with Henriquez getting traded, I can get young prospect Daniel Cueva onto the top 30.
1: Jim, were you timing that yourself?
2: I was. I will confess. Okay.
1: All right. <laughs> I was <laughs> going to say. Was it right on the dot? Yeah. Like two seconds. seconds.
2: Yeah. Yes. What well, you oh, know goodness. me like? Like you know, usually if you ask me for like like we're, we're a question that requires a single response, I will give you we three. So That's I didn't want to. I, I wanted to to stay on point and make sure I got my points across. I did, well, I did not want abide by the rules. I did not prepare remarks, but I did time myself to make sure I was I was going to get everything.
3: Impressive. Ready. Normally, I take the over. Yes. Oh, for yeah. sure. All right, Jonathan, you're up. 60 seconds. Begin now. Wait. So, am I talking about the same trade, or I'm talking about yes. the next? Yeah. Trade?
1: Well, yeah. Tell us. Uh, so, in, in Henriquez goes on your list, correct?
3: Yes. Okay. I'm sorry. I, I misunderstood the, uh, the the ground rules. It's just wandering <laughs> second. All right. Here. All, All right, right. Chase. Time. <laughs> Re- reset the reset the clock, please. <laughs> no. My, un- my understanding there would be no timing. Okay. Resetting, <laughs> restarting the clock. Go. it's fine i'm I'm gonna be short just like Ronnie Enriquez is uh, wow. you know, so you know he, he has an interesting arm and I think he has the chance to to start uh you know the the twins were, were very high on him uh you know he's got a chance to have a three pitch mix you know the the biggest question with with Ronnie Enriquez is, is will he hold up over the course of you know a long full workload and I think that's going to be the the biggest thing uh is showing durability to to handle a uh, starting pitching workload, You know, although these days, you know, do you need to go much more than five innings? But, you know, his intriguing arm, he's got a lot of life in his arm. Uh, he's athletic on the mound. Uh, he throws strikes. You know, so I, I think it's just a que- that it's That's the question he's going to have to answer if he wants to start long-term.
1: All right. 45 seconds. We're not carrying over uh, time from one train <laughs> to another, it. by the way. So if you're planning on banking that to talk about the uh, Chris Three Bassett trip. On the,
2: well, yeah, no, there you go. You can't do that.
1: Uh, yeah, so another trade on Saturday. Uh, Mets adding another All Star to their starting rotation in Chris Bassett. Um, Jonathan, you uh, we're going to alternate. You get to go first here. And uh, what did the Mets give up for Bassett here?
3: You know, they uh, they gave up two interesting arms. The 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 bigger name is is JT Ginn who uh, was their first rounder. Oh, actually, uh, was originally. Uh, Taken 30th overall by the Dodgers in the first round, then taken again in the in the second round as a draft eligible sophomore. Uh, You know, he has come back from Tommy John surgery. He'll throw three promising pitches. The fastball slider are are, are the best, but he's also got an above average changeup. There's some effort in his delivery, but he throws a lot of strikes. He somehow manages to repeat it. So I think there's kind of an up arrow next to his name after the year he had last year, another year removed from Tommy John surgery. The, the other uh, the other prospect they got is Adam Aller, who is not as well known, but it's sort of interesting. He's older. He's going to be, you know, he's 27, uh, so kind of past prospect age, but kind of interesting. Average across the board, but really knows how to pitch. You know, maybe he's a number four or five starter, uh, but, you know, he kind of got a, a little bit of a late start. The shutdown didn't, didn't help at all. He was a minor league rule five guy. Uh, so, you know... It, back end starter at best, maybe an up and down guy, but certainly uh, an interesting guy to add in back again in this trade.
1: All right. And Jim, before you go, I want to just mention to the listeners that as these trades are happening, uh, we are stuck in a kind of tricky situation. We touched on it in the intro, but we're in between lists. We would normally have put all of our lists out, but due to the lockout, we were on hold. Um, and so we're having to update both the existing 2021 list and the 2022 lists, which are about to go out. So when you see these players added to the list, so these guys go over from uh, to the to go to the Mets and we add them to the Mets list. We're putting them on the 2021 list, but it's a tricky situation because those lists are at this point a bit stale because we're about to re-rank them. And so, you guys are slotting them in. Can you, can you give kind of a, a quick explanation of how they're getting slotted in?
2: Well, there's, there's no perfect way to do it in some cases, because in most cases we know where they're going to go on the new list, but because there's movement on the old list, like you can look at and say, Oh, well, I have him ahead of this prospect. So he should go ahead of him on the old list, but then I have him behind this other prospect who moved up. So you, you kind of just try to find a spot that, seems roughly where he belongs on the new list but fits well with the players around him it's like sometimes it's a pretty easy fit and sometimes it's not easy at all is that okay. fair Jonathan
3: yeah that's fair it's been not easy for me more often than not this, this go around but it and, is and and it to is.
2: update I, I was looking at this of, of the so of the 10 teams involved in these five trades eight of them are Jonathan's teams so I don't know what you did to hang with them. yes
1: Yeah, and again, handling all this while on the road in Florida, and we've been constantly, you know, calling him, texting him, slacking him, emailing him uh, at all hours. Yeah, I uh, thought the the carrier pigeon was a bit much, but well, you weren't answering your texts. Yeah. All right, Jim. Anything to say on uh, on this trade?
2: Yeah, on the the couple things, I I thought Jonathan analyzed the trade very well, Um, and I have two kind of asides. You broke all the players down there nicely. One the JT Ginn thing made me think of Landon Sims who just had Tommy John surgery at Mississippi State yet another college pitcher who's gone down and I think JT Ginn kind of provides a blueprint for what might happen to Landon Sims you know he went in the second yes. round he got over slot money he's back on track and I think we could see the same thing happen with Landon Sims this spring and then my my memory of things from eight to 10 years ago is better than my memory of things from last week. And I, I was with Chris Bassett. It made me remember. I was like, I think I had him on a white Sox prospect list when I first came to MLB.com and give the white Sox credit, even though he barely pitched in four years at Akron, they took him in the 16th round. He's become one of the better starting pitchers in the uh, in the American League. And I'll squeeze this in. I had him number 17 on my White Sox top 20 right behind Mike Adolfo, who was then known as Mike Zapata, which I had totally forgotten about.
3: Good
1: pivot. Nicely done. I think okay. I saved
2: myself .16 seconds
1: there. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, move on to a big one. On uh, Sunday, uh, we had an interesting one where Chase Petty, uh, First-round pick last year went from the Twins to the Reds, along with 24-year-old right-handed pitcher Francis Peguero for Sonny Gray. Um, certainly an interesting trade there. Jim, your take on that one?
2: Well, I mean, the Reds are obviously in, in, in stripped down to the studs mode because even before the lockout, they gave Tucker Barnhart away and waived Wade Miley. And we'll talk about another Reds trade in a moment, too. It was funny because when I first saw the headline on this trade, on MLB trade rumors, it said something like twins trade first round pick for Sonny gray. And I was like, Oh wow. Like the competitive balance pick. That's all it took to get Sonny gray. <laughs> um, like, and I didn't realize it was chase petty. And then I was like, Oh, chase petty. No, I mean, look, I mean, chase petty has one, that had one of the livest most electric arms in last year's draft. I mean, triple digits. He's not the biggest guy in the world, but you know, triple digits on the fastball wipeout slider. Um, you know, you know, if you're trading veterans for prospects, that's a good one to get. And, you know, interesting to me, I mean, he's not a big chip in this, but Francis Peguero is a reliever who's, you know, in the upper 90s with an interesting slider. He might have a, a little bit of value for the twins
1: coming back in the deal with Sonny Gray. I'm doing a very bad job of uh, hitting the – Getting start on the timer here, but I think you're well under the cap. Yeah, and I, I, I was
2: two point three four seconds under my allotment there. Really,
1: that's it. Okay, when did,
3: that was when I'm maximizing
1: it, the use of my time. All right, Jonathan, you want to weigh in
3: here? Yeah, I mean, I, I think first and foremost, the Twins evidently went into this spring training thinking they're only allowed to uh, trade for or send away uh, undersized right-handed pitchers. Um, you know, Enriquez is under six feet tall. Chase Petty is. I think graciously listed as six, one Sonny gray has been, you know, undersized for a long time. Uh, But I mean, Petty is exciting. Of course, because I was in twins camp before all this happened, I interviewed him as my prospect interview. Um, But you know, uh, his energy shows up even when you're talking to him. I mean, this is a guy who's upper nineties. He can touch 100. There's reliever risk because of the size there's effort in his delivery, but he throws a lot of strikes and he has three pitches. And so, uh, I, and he's athletic, so I give him every chance to start. He just has to go out and do it because he's barely started.
1: All right. Let's move on to the next trade, uh, which occurred on Monday. And th- these things, uh, I think, have kind of, pr- as they progressed over time each day, they also got bigger and bigger in terms of the players and prospects involved. This one, uh, Matt Olson. Uh, the Big Matt Olsen trade with Shay Langliers, Kristen Pache, Joey Estes, and Ryan Kuzak going to the A's from the Braves for Matt Olsen, who then in turn signed a giant extension with the Braves. But uh, I think it uh, was pretty much unanimous across uh, it was pretty much across the board, from what I could tell that everyone's initial reaction to this was, wow, that's a lot.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, it is a lot, you know, but there are there are question marks, you know, so I, I think it sort of balances out a little bit. And uh, Langoliers is the big name, top 100 guy, also a guy I interviewed in Braves camp. So uh, two guys get traded, so people should watch out when they talk to me. <laughs> I, You know, I think the question marks really come. I mean, Langoliers is going to catch in the big leagues, at, you know, maybe as soon as this year. Uh, was on the taxi squad for the Braves in the postseason last year because of his defense and the power is very real. The question marks come is with Christian Pache, unbelievable tools, gold glove caliber defense, but you know, can he hit, can he impact the ball? He kind of regressed last year. So he has to answer those questions in order to kind of reclaim his, the, the, the shininess of, of his star. And then Ryan Cusick and Joey Estes are kind of at opposite ends because Cusick is huge. Estes is small, but they both have reliever risk. Uh, you know, so you give them a chance to start. Kusick was a first-rounder and Estes was a late-round guy. Really, really good stuff. Will it hold up, and will they command the baseball enough to be starting pitchers? Four guys in just over a minute. Not bad. He, did you
2: see there's no buzzer? Did you exceed a minute? Why is Jason not giving you a harsh <laughs> well, buzzer? I did exceed six a minute. Seconds? Oh, no.
3: I think he was being loose because, I mean, that's that's four guys. Come on. Yeah, I'm slacking on the buzzer. So I,
2: I'm, I'm the rules guy this, this, this episode. Who, who knew?
3: All right, James, what do you have to say about this trade?
2: Um, no, I think you broke those guys down pretty well. I, you know, the, my, my take, I mean, aside from the prospect hall, I mean, Christian Pache, you, you talk to people in baseball, and if you ask him hit or no hit, I think most people think Christian Pache is not going to hit. So there's a lot of risk there. If he does hit, then this could be a really lopsided trade perhaps uh, in terms of A's getting a bunch of young talent. I, I did not like this trade from the Braves' perspective it's sad to see Freddie Freeman go, but to me, I would have rather re-signed Freddie Freeman. I know he's four years older than Matt Olson. They just locked Matt Olson up for eight years, but I would have rather re-signed Freddie Freeman and held on to my prospect capital because I don't think the brave system is very deep and you just traded for your better prospects. And if you need to make more moves going forward, you aren't necessarily going to have a lot to work with. So I I don't, you know, not, not being nostalgic, just for baseball reasons, I don't think I would have made this trade if I was the Braves.
1: These have this has to be a trade that brings in uh, some of the best defensive prospects in one trade. I mean, <laughs> Langoliers and and Pache in terms of their defense, like I Both think on the all defense team. Both right, I them. was going to say, and I, I think each of these guys has has garnered votes for best. Overall defensive player in oh. in uh, defensive prospect in baseball have they not? When we when yeah,
3: Pache played... has been the kind of hands down choice for best overall defender for quite some time. I mean, you know, previously that you know if you sent out a poll asking that question, he overwhelmingly won that that poll.
1: All right, and we had another trade on Monday. Brandon Williamson along with Justin Dunn, Jake Fraley, and a player to be named later, to the Reds from the Mariners for Jesse Winker and Eugenio Suarez. And uh, the player of interest in this one for us, Brandon Williamson. Yeah,
2: and Brandon Williamson's been a guy who, who's interested in me for a while. He first popped up on my my draft radar back in 2018 when he was at North Iowa Area Community College, and scouts were flocking to to see him. I well, I I think that's in Mason City, Iowa. I was going to try to guess where that is. But anyway, um, he's been on my radar. And and, I, and Jonathan can can talk about this in his 60 seconds. Brandon Williamson is not on our top 100 prospects list. that's upcoming. We'll sneak preview there. And I may have as much regret. He might be the player I most regret not including. Because I know we're going to talk top 10 lefties in a little bit. And I like Brandon Williamson a lot. You know I, I think that was a good get for the Reds they gave up a lot i mean we've we've liked jesse Winker's bat for a while Eugenio Suarez has been up and down but he's had some big years but I think Brandon Williamson has a chance to be a number three starter um you know really good curveball good velocity feel for change up and there's my 60 seconds.
3: Yeah, I think Williamson has kind of, he's got an up arrow kind of across the board. His stuff has just ticked up. He's gotten better. He's gotten, even in terms of his command for all his pitches, has gotten better. So I think that that ceiling is right. I don't know, this trade might be one that ends up being pretty good. Yes, the the Reds gave up a decent amount in terms of offense. But since they are kind of hitting the, the reset button here, uh, you know, I don't know what Jake Fraley is going to be. Maybe he's a fourth outfielder, but, you know, he's got big league time. And Justin Dunn was a former, you know, very good prospect who couldn't establish himself who started to do that last year and is still not very old. Uh, you know, so I think there's a chance for the Reds to get some, some value there. But I do agree that, uh, you know, Williamson, I think, is likely to pitch his way onto, onto the top 100 list and, and keep moving up uh, a rare college guy with a, a good amount of ceiling.
1: All right. That's our trade talk. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the new CBA and how it affects the draft and prospect world. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline podcast.
3: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive.
1: we talked trades. Now let's talk CBA. Uh, we've been waiting for this for so long. Finally got it and got a look at all the details in it. And uh, as it applies to us, a lot of uh, changes to the draft. There is potentially going to be an international draft. And uh, we, we talked a lot about uh, what MLB's proposal uh, was for an international draft on last week's Pipeline podcast. Uh, so we're not going to delve into the specifics too much again. Uh, but, guys, I, it was interesting that it wasn't really talked about much until the very end. And then all of a sudden it became, I think, a much larger larger issue than people thought. And then uh, once the details got out there, then all of a sudden you had uh, – Some really big names weighing in on it, uh, most notably David Ortiz and, um, and it became a really big issue. And, and Jim, we were talking during break off air that it seemed like, um, his main issue was that he didn't, that we shouldn't be rushing this. And it seems like they, that, that was addressed and that it's not part of the agreement yet, uh, except to the extent that they bought some more time to figure it out and uh, it could happen in the near future. And if it doesn't, then there's kind of a payoff.
2: Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, if, if they have, if we do get an international draft and I there's so many details, I don't actually have the deadline. I can't remember when the deadline was for agreeing to it. If they agreed, if the players agree to international draft by, was it, the end of the summer, I, I I've lost track. Yeah, it's it's July twenty fifth. There, there you go. The, then free agent competition will disappear. But like I think we said last week, we all thought the proposal actually seemed like pretty fair, um, and nobody raised a specific objection to it. Um, you know, it's funny. I was talking to somebody um, about the international draft in the aftermath of the CBA. And they point out that even though the players are like, Hey, 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 you know, don't rush into this, you know, what's going on. And it became a big thing at the end. It's no secret. I mean, even going back to the last CBA, this was something MLB was pushing for. So the players should not have been astonished that MLB was asking for international draft. I, there, there was somebody who, th- who thought that was a little bit ridiculous, but um, um, you know, it, it, I mean, it seems like the momentum is gearing up toward international draft. And look, If you look at the history of things the union has done in negotiations, if there are things that benefit their constituency without harming their constituency and having no draft pick compensation for free agents in exchange for international draft of players who are not in the union, the history of the MLBPA is that they take those types of things. So I, I, I would think we will have an international draft agreed upon sooner rather than later.
3: Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I mean, and remember, this isn't going to be instituted, you know, instantaneously. So even if they agree to it, it's going to be a couple of years down the line. That was a 2024. Is that what they were looking at? So, right. um, yeah, it was, so I, I think I agree with you, Jim. I think they will come to some agreement. I'll be very curious to see what the final plan looks like when compared to what that initial proposal was.
2: And I'll be curious, like you said, I mean, because they have to put, I mean, I guess they don't have to, but given that, you know, we talked about, you know, one of the reasons MLB wants international draft, the teams are entering into verbal agreements with 13 and 14 year olds. What do you do? If you institute the international draft, do you just say any of those agreements go by the wayside? I mean, I guess.
3: Yep. We're going to have um, to.
2: So, but yeah, they, we'll see. But I, I think we all kind of agree. We probably will have an international draft. I'm curious when will the international draft be? I, I have not, I, I had somebody tell me they thought it might be in February. But I haven't, I haven't heard any timetables to what time of year they would actually hold the international draft.
1: Yeah, we heard that the signing deadline would be three weeks after the draft, but we didn't actually <laughs> hear when the draft would be. So that'll, that will be interesting.
3: I do uh, like, uh, before we just I just want to say, I, I like the idea of doing it in the winter. Just like I kind of like how the signing periods have started in January, because then the teams have the opportunity to send them out and play that summer. Instead of having to wait you know, a, f- a full year before getting them out to play in any kind of league, even if it's in the Dominican Summer League, I, I think that's, I-, I like that timing. Yeah, I don't it. know.
2: I-, I think we should just do it the same day as the Futures game in the amateur. Uh, draft. I was going to say the same. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's I just have them say. all on the same day. We'll just squeeze that in. Exactly. Like, like in between the end of the Futures game and the start of the amateur draft, we'll do yeah. a couple rounds international draft.
1: Sounds there good. We- there we have it. Let- let's actually, we- we're going to cut that out of the podcast so nobody even hears that. All right, let's do talk about the the other draft, the amateur draft, uh, because a lot of changes there. Uh, Most notably, I think the lottery, Uh, something that we have not had in baseball exists in uh, other major sports. Um, So there's the lottery instituted, uh, learned that the draft will be 20 rounds. Uh, postseason teams will pick in reverse order of their postseason finish. Well, well, uh, with
2: a caveat. With a caveat. Oh uh,
1: yeah, well yeah, there. Within, within
2: each group of like wild card losers or division series losers, it's then sorted by revenue sharing status and then reverse order of record, which was interesting. Also. Yeah. Have fun I mean, figuring all this out. You'll no longer be able to look at the major league standings and figure out who's drafting
1: where. I know. I was about to say as as someone largely responsible for putting together, uh, figuring out the draft order each year and, and putting together the draft order page. Um, I am not looking forward to this. Yeah. It's it, because it's all, it's been complicated um, by the qualifying offer free agent signings. Um, and, and now uh, it's going to be even more complicated. I fear. just put up
3: an under construction sign at all times.
1: You might need to. Um, so one of you explain how the lottery is going to work. Well, I'll,
2: I'll jump into this. You one. wrote the story, man. Since I wrote the story and I, it's, so I, hopefully I will get this right. Um, Cause there's a lot of details here, but the lottery will take all 18 teams that did not qualify for the playoffs and put them into a lottery. Um, and for the, for the, for the first six picks, and the first six picks are subject to lottery. So for the number one overall pick, all 18 teams will be eligible. The teams with the three worst records will all have a 16.5% chance, roughly one in six, that they would get the, the first pick. And then the the team with the best record among the non-playoff teams, some team that goes like 83 and 79 or something, will have like a 0.23% chance. So it's like a one in 400 shot at having the number one pick. So it's, it's, it's very unlikely that a team is going to be the last team left out of the playoffs and wind up with the number one pick. Um, although I'm sure when it happens, we'll hear conspiracy theories galore. Um, and then you'll repeat the process for picks two through six. And then at that point, pick seven through 18 will be in, re- I believe this is right, in reverse order of their finish the previous year
0: Wait, you know, of the be. teams
2: are left. But the one interesting caveat here is that you cannot... Pick in the lottery year after year after year. Like for instance, just using the Orioles as example, the Orioles have the number one overall pick this year, and they picked first in 2019, second in 2020, and fifth in 2021. Now going forward, and, and the lottery will start with 2023. It won't. They won't reconfigure the 2022 draft order. But but going forward in 2023, you cannot pick in the lottery. You cannot pick in actually in the top nine picks. More than two years in a row, if you are a revenue sharing recipient, and if you're a revenue sharing payer, you cannot pick in the top nine picks for more than one year in a row, um, which is interesting. Now, and I wanted to run it because Jonathan, I think you're even, you're more vocal than me with your disdain for the concept that teams are just, you know, tanking left and right, but... <laughs> you know, the lottery is interesting. I think it definitely adds interest to the draft. It, you know, makes it harder. You know, there's, it's more of a challenge to, you you can't guarantee yourself a, a top three pick or whatever, every every year. But I I will say just from the outside, looking in somebody who's spent years covering the draft, I don't personally feel that if, if I were running a rebuilding team, I'm going to be like, Oh, geez, there's a lottery. I can only pick high, you know, two years in a row. So I'm going to go out and spend 40 more million on my major league payroll to try to be competitive. I, I don't, I, I don't know that this is going to necessarily spur a lot of free agent spending among non-competitive teams, but I do like the concept as a whole. I, I find it very interesting.
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't mind the the lottery. Um, you know, I, I think it's kind of a fun thing. Um, I I I even don't mind, like, sort of theoretically putting some limitations. Um, But, yeah, as you pointed out, like, I I don't really honestly believe that teams tank, you know, uh, sure, teams play out the string because, you know, you're playing 162 games and you're having a losing season. Uh, But I do think that the combination of that and... This, you know, slightly expanded playoffs might point ever so slightly to teams trying to compete for longer. Uh, Now, I don't see a team that's like, well, you know, we got a chance at that last playoff spot. You know, let's go all in because we can't pick in the in the top six anyway. You know that like I don't see that happening. So I don't think it's going to have that that kind of impact. But the combination of the two, maybe teams might edge towards. Uh, you know, being you know active, say at the trade deadline. Although I think it's more the the extra playoff spots that will do that than than anything within this new draft system. All right, and something
1: else that is going to complicate uh, the draft order each year: uh, the institution of prospect promotion incentive selections (PPI) picks, um, and that also ties into. Uh, this has been instituted to dissuade um, uh, service, service minimum. Time minimum. Yeah. So uh, these two things tie in together. Uh, give us a breakdown, uh, Jim, of the prospect promotion incentive selections.
2: Okay. I don't think we have all the details on this, but but I so I have the general way it's supposed to work. If you call up a a, a rookie who's Meets some qualification yeah, and
1: eligible prospect, right, yeah. Which
2: you know, I don't know if that means our top 100 prospect list or baseball America's or fangraphs or any of them or whatever. But anyway, if, if you, you, you all, the, all the terms are vague, but if you're a qualified prospect and the team puts you on their opening day roster and keeps you up for the entire season, um, I assume that includes DL time because you still would get service time, but that's it wasn't really specified, and then you finish. And I don't know if they spelled out exactly how high you have to finish in awards voting, but if you finish in the top two or three, I think, of in awards voting, uh, then your team gets a pick at the end of the first round, the following draft. And the interesting thing with this, I mean, the whole thing's interesting, but it's not just rookie of the year voting. It continues going forward. I forget and again. I don't know all the details, of like how many years forward. But let's say I'll just use Adley Rutschman as an example for the Orioles. And they call Adley Rutschman up on opening day this year. And he's up all year, and somehow he doesn't finish in the top of the rookie year voting for whatever reason. But Adley Rutschman goes out, and he's second in an MVP voting in his second season in the big leagues. Then the Orioles will get a pick there. So again, I'd file this like just like the the, the lottery is supposed to promote more competition and you know spending the money and paying players the ppi picks are supposed to promote not manipulating service time and giving teams incentive to have guys on their opening day roster and keep them up all year and i think it will help some but i don't think it's going to help in every i'll be very curious to see how this plays out i was having a conversation and I did not come up with an answer. I was talking to somebody in baseball. and I was like, go back and look at that Cubs team in 2015, where they, they very famously kept Chris Bryant down to the exact day they had to to get an extra year of service time out of him. Um, and you know, Chris Bryant was Rookie of the Year, and he was MVP. I don't know if you get bonus PPI picks if he like wins multiple awards. Hmm. That, that part was unclear, too. But like, if you're the Cubs, would getting an extra first-round pick have swayed you when you were maybe hoping to be a dark horse contender in 2015 to have Chris Bryant up on your opening day roster? Or would you say having the extra year of control is worth more than the pick? I mean, because teams always look at it. Don't you think Jonathan, like, you know, the draft is a crapshoot to some extent, but individual teams have faith in their own department's ability to find good players. So they'll always like, if you give a team extra pick at the end of the first round, they're going to be like, Hey, we can get a really good player with that. So I don't know how that one's going to play out. It's going to be very interesting.
3: I think it's going to be a case by case. And then I keep thinking, you know, so last year, um, you know, the Reds had Jonathan Indy up all year, right? They didn't worry about service time manipulation, but they would receive no draft pick compensation because he wasn't on, on the top 100 list.
2: Yeah. I mean, maybe again, maybe it's somebody else's list. Like, and Prospects live does like a top three thousand and eighty two, so maybe he was on that list. I, I don't know what the <laughs> well what the
3: definition is, but right. um, no, i are mean, right. I yeah. guess it depends on whose list it is. But but, but like, mean,
2: I'll give you an example of a team that would have received this recently: Fernando Tatis Jr. Um, and the because he, he was on the opening day roster, if, if yep. I remember correctly, in 2019, and he finished. And again, we don't know all the details, but Fernando Tatis Jr. was top three rookie of the year, top three MVP last year. So I believe the Padres would have gotten a pick. And again, like a lot of this stuff. I, you probably get the same questions. People are like, what, what about this? What about that? And what about this scenario? And I have to keep telling people who ask me this, like they have like kind of an outline. We've all seen the outline of changes. It doesn't have the specific details. So I don't know, like, like, I mean, what if you got multiple picks? Like what, what if the potters got a pick for Fernando Tatis Jr. Being rookie third and rookie of the year. And then they got another pick from being third in MVP voting. And he was fourth his other year. What if, you know, they yeah, got a pick that for happened? that. What like then you can really said? cash in.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I, I do think that it will. I think you're going to see a few more guys start on opening day rosters, but I don't know if it's going to be any kind of like avalanche of opening day roster makings. I mean, and
2: theoretically, like you you could try to game the system a little bit too. Let's say I think I'm going to contend, and I have a rookie who I think can contribute. I call him up on opening day, and then if he struggles or my team struggles, I send him down to AAA for three weeks, and you know trade the PP potential PPI yeah. pick for for an extra year of control too
1: all right one last thing on uh, the draft and how it was affected by the CBA and I know you guys want to are quite intrigued by this is the return of the draft and follow
3: so exciting
2: I love um, the draft and follow that that, that was were- the most exciting part for me
3: I, I, yeah, uh, I, I would, when Jim tweeted that out because I hadn't because uh, again uh, the aforementioned running around Florida, um, I hadn't seen that. <laughs> so, and, then, and, and to be honest with you, I texted a few scouts who didn't know. Yeah, um, Jonathan, so... I'm going
2: to interrupt you for one second. Like, you, I think you slacked at me like. Like, why are you just randomly talking about draft and follows on a Thursday afternoon? <laughs> and, and like, you were just you were dumbfounded. But, but the funny thing was, when I tweeted that, my phone blew up from yep. so many scouts and agents I know saying, "What the draft yeah. and follows back?" Like people nobody had know. any inkling that was
3: coming. That's the, you didn't realize you were like breaking huge news there. But um,
2: well, break that. You tell people what the draft and follow is, John. Yeah.
3: So, <clears throat> in a previous iteration of the draft, um. When was the last year? Oh, six, From 87 to
2: 2006, you 2006, had drafted. Six, in right. Okay.
3: So you had the opportunity to draft a player, uh, typically a high school player. I guess you could draft someone out of junior college and do the same thing. But um, but you're not quite sure whether or not the player's ready to, to go out to pro ball or that you want to sign him. You know, he's worth the investment, whatever it is. You can then send him, you know, have him go to junior college and you can check in on him and scout him and evaluate him for an entire spring of of junior college competition. And you know somewhere you know a week or so before the next draft, you'd have to make a decision as to whether or not you're going to sign the player. And typically late around, you know, and if they go out and they perform well, then you end up having to spend you know more money on on the player. But there have been some very, very good draft and follows. Um, pitching more often than not, um, you know, although I think my favorite one, uh, and, and there are many, you know, uh, Mark Burley, Roy Oswalt, Andy Pettit. Um, but Andy my Pettit favorite I think was, Posada in the Orhei same draft for the Yankees. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean uh, my favorite is probably Lorenzo Kane, uh, just because he kinda, he was so raw that, you know, the, the brewers I think thought that if they'd signed him right out of high school, he would have, failed uh in in pro ball and even when he first got to junior college he really struggled and then started to figure it out and then became Lorenzo Cain but that was a great opportunity for a really raw player with not a lot of baseball experience and the team to have a little extra time to see how the tools were going to play and that's why they were able to sign him
2: it's a great rule for players for exactly that reason you you have this come up I mean, obviously, we have twenty-round drafts. So you're not going to be able to pick a bunch of these guys, but you have guys who are, you know, say like really athletic and really intriguing. They don't have a lot of baseball experience, and you like them, but you're almost doing the kid a disservice by signing him and sending him into rookie ball. You know, especially now with the reduced minors, the the so-called two-year rookie ball players probably a thing of the past for the most part. Mm-hmm. And instead of you know, buying him away from college and then maybe releasing him two years later because he wasn't ready, you could kind of, you know, slow play it and see what happens. And again, this is another thing. I had people asking me about all these details and I kept saying, I don't know. Now you know, the, the outline we got says that the first two hundred and twenty five thousand dollars you pay to a draft and follow will not not count towards your bonus pool. But it's really unclear, like what if let's say you you, you run into a snag with your third round pick. Well let's say there's a there's a physical issue. And you can't agree. And he winds up going to junior college. Like it's unclear to me if I sign my third round pick as a draft and follow, does that money come out of last year's bonus pool or does it come out of this year's bonus pool? There, there's a lot of those details that have to be explained, but I, I think it's, it's a great rule for players. It, it benefits play. It, it basically gives a player, he doesn't have to make a decision. He has an opportunity to go into pro ball, but he can also explore college a little bit. And then a year later when he has more information, know what's best for him.
1: All right. And what's best for us is a little break. We're going to come back and talk about all of the new 2022 prospect ranking lists that are coming out. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. And we're putting out our 2022 prospect rankings. Uh, The way we're doing this, yes. The way we're doing this is, uh, as always, top 10 by position lists. Leading up to the top 100 prospects list. Uh, And then we move into the team top 30 list. And then the farm rankings, farm system rankings. So uh, typically when this is spread out over the course of January, February, into March. We're cramming it all into a, about a couple-week period. So, uh, busy, busy few weeks for us here. Uh, we started out with the right- and left-handed pitchers list first. Uh, let's dig into those right-handed pitchers list. So, the way we're going to do this, we're going to look at the number one player on each list. And then Jim and Jonathan have a pick-to-click on each list. Uh, right-handed pitchers list led by... The uh, Orioles right-hander Grayson Rodriguez, uh, no surprise here, guys. And uh, I think what was it last week that we had a mailbag question about whether he was kind of
3: underappreciated? Under- yeah.
2: <laughs> well, we haven't put him in the Hall of Fame yet.
3: So. Yeah, yeah. Um, we did, and I'll 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 talk about about Grayson Rodriguez. And you know, it is a weird thing. He's the number one pitching prospect in baseball. But I I understood where the question was coming from because. I mean, he's got a 70 fastball and a 70 changeup with a 60 slider and 60 control. So we're talking three plus pitches. He's got a decent curveball also with plus command and control. Uh, so he looks every bit like a future top of the rotation kind of starter. I think all he needs is a little more time uh, at the upper upper levels. Um, he gets extra points for being a friend of the podcast. But uh, you know, other than that, like once he once he spends a little time I think in, in triple a after reaching double a last year, he's going to be ready to impact the Orioles rotation.
1: That's right. We, we only had him at number four on the list before he became a friend of the podcast. And then That's we true. bumped him up to one, <laughs> um, Jim pick to click.
2: Well, it's going to be Yuri Perez. And I think Jonathan's sick of hearing me talk about Yuri Perez because I've agonized over what order to put the Marlins pitchers in, um, and eventually settled for not putting him at the front of the list. We'll make people wait to see the list next week. I do think there's a good chance that he could be the number one pitching prospect in baseball a year from now, but he's, he's, you know, pitched 78 innings in pro ball. So like I wanted to hedge my bets a little bit, but it's just amazing. He's six, eight, but like with amazing body control for a teenager, that big, you know, He's up to 98 miles an hour with all kinds of great fastball metrics. His mid-80s changeup is going to be at least a plus pitch. He's got a chance for a plus curveball. He's basically all the nice things that Jonathan said about Grayson Rodriguez. Yuri Perez isn't quite there yet, but he's close. And it's like a a six-foot-eight version of Grayson Rodriguez at a similar stage of their careers. Um, So I'm really intrigued by him and, and, and curious to see what he does for an encore after having a fabulous pro debut last year at age 18.
1: One of three Marlins on that top 10 right-handed pitching prospects list. Another one on the top 10 left-handed pitching prospects list, which is led by Reed Detmers.
2: Oh, that's, uh, sorry. I was, I was, that's you. That's, I know, I know I was, I, I was forgetting we were all training back and forth and I was waiting for Jonathan to start talking about Reed Detmers. And instead it's uh, instead it's me, but no, right, um, your,
1: th- your 30 seconds is up.
2: I'm done. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> nah, Reed Detmers uh, liked him a lot at Louisville. You know, he was in that rotation with Bobby Miller. who's also on the top 100 prospects list and, you know, came into pro ball. I, I think, you know, he was first round pick. If there was a question about Reed Detmers coming to pro ball, it's like, okay, this guy doesn't have overwhelming fastball velocity. How well is it really going to play in pro ball? And all he did was dominate the minors and make his major league debut in the same year that he made his pro debut. The, the curveball is really, really good. I think, you know, he got knocked around a little bit in the big leagues, which isn't, you know, to be unexpected for a guy who had barely any pro experience, but I think he's going to be uh, – Uh, You know, I think at least a number three starter for the Angels for a while and and possibly better than that. I mean, the the curveball is really, really good and he can, you know, really, really pitch and the fastball plays up because he commands it. Well, I I really like him. Um, You know, and it's, it's crazy thinking about like, I mean, we might have an all star game down the road where Reed Detmers is starting against Bobby Miller and they were on the same Louisville staff.
1: All right. And our pick to click from this list is our number eight player on the top 10.
3: Yeah, it's Blake Walston, who was the D-back's first-round pick in 2019. Super athletic, um, was a high school quarterback also, 6'5". He he's got size. Uh, you know, he typically sits in the low 90s, but he can crank it up a little, and there's probably more in the tank as he keeps adding to that that 6'5 frame. He's got a plus curveball. Uh, he actually has a tighter slider also, and uh, uh, an improved feel for for a changeup. Um, you know, for a guy out of high school to have a four pitch mix and throw strikes, uh, he's really, really interesting. Started slow last year, but kind of really, uh, started getting going and, and by the end of the year. And you know, this is a guy who's a chance where, like, he could have four above average to plus pitches with with good command of all of them. Both of those
1: lists with a lot of turnover uh, since last year. We're not giving away the full list here on the podcast, but. Make sure you go to MLB.com slash pipeline. You can check out all of the top 10 by position lists as they come out over the course of this week. We move on to the first base list. And, oh, look, it's Spencer Torkelson at the top of that list. What a surprise.
3: I don't really know much about him. Can you guys help me out? I'm kidding. Um Yes. I mean, he's going back to that the the draft rules situation i i think he's kind of one of the first guys that comes to mind right because he's i think just about ready um you know this is a guy who has a chance to to hit and with a ton of power um he only hit 267 last year but you know he made it up to the highest level of the minors in his first full season he had 30 homers um power is ridiculous you know he's gonna hit enough Uh, i'm not worried about him hitting 220 or anything like that but uh uh, obviously this is a guy who's going to be an impact middle of the order run producer at, at first base. Uh, and it's going to happen very, very soon.
1: And Jim, the pick to click here, is it, is it fair to say this is, this is one of your, uh, favorite prospects of going into this year? Yeah, I feel like, you, I feel like you've talked about him a lot.
2: He, he was the most valuable player in the, uh, what draft did we do? I can't remember what our draft was with Sam, where I, I proclaimed Dustin Harris the most valuable player in our in that draft. Yeah, it was the twenty twenty. Oh, it was the going draft forward first. draft of yes. like guys we're going to debut down the road. But no, he, Dustin Harris fascinates me. I mean, he's a guy who who tore it up in, in junior college, and he was an eleventh round pick of the A's. You know, in Saint Petersburg, Florida, uh, junior college. I hadn't really ever heard of him until he was in the Mike Minor trade. He was a player to be named first season with the Rangers last year, you know, all of a sudden, bam, you know, he hits 327, 943 ops, 20 homers, 25 steals, gets to high A. He could just really, really hit. It's a ton of hard contact. Um, he made some adjustments last year so he could start launching balls in the air. And he did that without sacrificing his ability to make contact. He'll, he's a first baseman primarily at this point, but he'll flash plus speed. He, you know, he stole the 25 bases and only 27 attempts he played some third you know he's got to improve his lateral range to, to make that work I, I think he's going to get more outfield time this year but man if he builds on what he did last year this guy is gonna you know he he was the under consideration for the top 100 prospects list It didn't quite make it but I, if you told me that this guy you know built on what he did last year and you know was ranked you know f- you know smack in the middle of the list this year or at midseason, i, I could
1: definitely see that He's one of only two players on the top 10 first base prospects list, uh, that is not expected to be in the big leagues this year, eight out of the 10, uh, expected to see time in the bigs this year. So that's uh, an interesting list for that fact alone. Uh, moving on to the third base list that is topped by that's Brett Beatty.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I guess two things jump out to me about Brett Beatty being number one on a third base list is, uh, one, I, I think the best is really yet to come for him, even though we have him ranked number one. I, I think, you know, he got to A last year, um, played in the Arizona Fall League. You know, he didn't put up huge numbers. You know, he hit 292 at both spots, 12 homers between high and A, one homer in the Fall League. But I, I think this guy can really hit. I think there's a lot more power to come. I think he's answered questions about his ability to stay at third base. Not that he's going to be a gold glover, but there was the question because he's kind of a bigger guy when he came into pro ball. And I think he's at least, you know, he can, he can play a pretty decent third base. And then the other thing, because you guys know, I can't mention Brett Bailey without haranguing on this, age is still the whole age factor where, where teams overrate. I, I understand how age is a factor in the draft, but there were teams that, that, that their scouts thought Brett Beatty was as good a high school hitter as just about anybody in that 2019 draft, but they weren't going to draft him because he's 19 and a half and their algorithms hated the fact he was 19 and a half years old. And let's look two years later, even though there's a pandemic, you didn't get to play in 2020 now all of a sudden he's a 21 year old in double a, which is like three years ahead of the game. So old man Beatty's now a baby now. Like it's just, <laughs> I, I, I've i got myself started. I would say, don't get me started on age in the draft, but that just, it, you got to look at talent first talent matters and Brett Beatty's got a lot of talent
1: old man Beatty love that nickname <laughs> all right uh in the pick to click on this list is another guy that I feel like has been talked about a lot this offseason uh specifically by you
3: Jonathan so talk about him some more yeah by the way the the uh, old old for the draft is the center square on Jim's bingo card um yeah, Ellie De La Cruz is, like, fascinating. Uh, and a guy who's, you know, got about as large of an up arrow next to name as any, at least any offensive prospects. Uh, it's only signed for $65,000. Um, you know, played well in the Dominican Summer League, but wasn't, you know, didn't set the world on fire. They came to the States in 2021, was so good that they had, they really had no choice but to prom- promote him to full season ball. And he hit there, too. Uh, he can do everything. I mean, the only thing that would keep him from being one of the best third base prospects in all of baseball is if he proves that he can play shortstop full time, which he wants to do. Most people think he's probably going to just grow out of the position and he's going to hit plenty to profile at third. So a really exciting uh, player on the left side of the infield with uh, a lot of above average to plus tools.
1: (laughs) All right. So those are the first four top 10 prospects by position lists that are out and the rest coming your way this week. And then, of course, culminating with the top 100 prospects list. And if you're listening to this before Saturday, make sure on Saturday you tune tune into MLB Network for the top 100 prospects show. Uh, That's airing at 11 a.m. Eastern on the network on Saturday. All right. We said we were going to talk about uh, some experimental rules in minor league baseball this year. We're running long here. We're going to keep this quick. Um, Jim, Jonathan, a quick thumbs up, thumbs down on each of these. Um, Nothing. I don't think anything too uh, mind boggling here or or anything um, that we haven't seen uh, in some way, somewhere. Expanded pitch clock at all full season leagues. Thumbs up heartily. Two thumbs up. Two, two thumbs up from – how many from you, John? Just one. Just one. Three total thumbs up. Uh, larger bases, any issues there? No issues. One thumb mm, up. Yeah,
3: I'll, the, uh,
1: whatever. Sure. <laughs> uh, defensive position requirements at AA and both Class A levels. So that's anti-shifting
2: legislation is what you're talking about. Right? Anti,
1: anti-shifting legislation. Thumbs down.
2: I will shrug my shoulders at that, like – I don't think it's not, it, it's not going to fade. It's not going to lead to more contact and it's not going to affect pace of play really. So I ambivalent at best.
1: All right. And, uh, robot umpires overtaking the baseball world expanded automated ball strike system with challenge triple a and low a Southeast. Can and I do done. one of each?
2: Like one one of my thumbs is up. One of my thumbs is down. I I'm fine with eventually developing a good automated ball strike system you know, if pace of play is something we're aiming for here, the, the, the challenge system, I think, is not—I so my thumbs up to the concept of working towards automated balls and strikes. Thumbs down. I think the challenge system will be laborious.
1: That, yeah, the, the challenge system, I think, has a, a lot of question marks. Um, it, I think in the press release, it said that the pitcher, batter and catcher all had uh, the ability to. <laughs> um, challenge calls. And it, it makes me wonder how that's going to play out in games. You get three per game. Uh, you get to keep them if they're successful, but like, you know, who's making the final call on, get on, who gets to make these challenges. You get a batter up there. I mean, how often do batters disagree with a, a pitch call, you know, and you're, you're, you got three per game and you got a guy up there who <laughs> takes exception to a call and just, Paul O'Neill you
2: know, just goes berserk and like runs through all three challenges and, and one <laughs> at in one app yeah
3: all right so Jonathan little... what
2: were your thumbs I didn't I I, I spoke and I, I may have
3: spoken over your thumbs you, you did speak over me but it's okay I said thumbs up I was just looking at the automated I, I was thinking more about the the ball strike system and how I do think that the more that that can be spread and the more that they can continue to work on it and kind of perfect it uh the better it's going to be
1: All right, let's wrap up with a question from the mailbag, and this uh, has been a jam-packed episode of the MOV Pipeline podcast. So much to talk about, and I think we'd be remiss not to include a question from our old friend Stevie D. Steven D'Alessio asks, what would an ideal trade package be for any team looking to acquire Matt Chapman?
2: Yeah, I feel like this podcast is like the Thanksgiving uh, day meal version of our podcast where we're, it, it's just so stuffed. But, um, and this is a fine question. You know, Matt Chapman, I was looking at this, I actually did some research for this since I knew the question was coming, Jason. Um, same service time, you know, Matt Olson had comparable value. He wasn't as good last year, but he's been better previously. You know, various teams have been mentioned. I, I looked at the Phillies um, and tried to build a deal similar to what the Braves gave up, which was, you know, four young guys. One or two who are kind of top one hundred ish and recent first rounder, guy on the rise. So I was looking along those lines, and I went with Alec Bohm, who has graduated from the list but was a top one hundred prospect, and maybe he's analogous to Christian Pache in that his stock is down a little bit right now. Um, Bryson Stott as the the, the top one hundred prospect equivalent to Shay Langleyers, and I think we have those guys. Ranked around the same place uh, on, on our new list will be out next week. Recent first-round pick, you could go with, with with Mick Abel or Andrew Painter, the high school pitchers they took the last couple of years, one of those guys. And guy on the rise, I went with – I know, Jonathan, you do the Phillies list. I went with one of your favorite Phillies sleepers, Griff McGarry. Yes. So there's, there's my trade package. Alec Baum, Bryson Stott. You can ha- you could pick which right-hander, you know, Mick Abel or, or Andrew Painter. And and Griff McGarry. So before you give us your and your your trade package, Jonathan, I'll ask both of you, does that trade happen? Who says no? Which team says no if it doesn't?
3: Um, well, huh. I mean, I, I think it depends on what you think Matt Chapman is going to be. You know, you get Gold Glover, but, you know, and a lot of power. I mean, is Matt Olson better than Matt Chapman? I think they're comparable.
2: Like like like, you know, the same service time. Matt Chapman was better before two thousand twenty one. Olson was better last year. You know, Olson, I mean Chapman slumped to two ten, still played great defense and hit twenty seven homers and drew eighty walks. You know, it's eye the beholder.
1: So I'm gonna I'm gonna say maybe Philly say no to that one. Okay.
3: Yeah, it might be a little too much okay but, but especially cuz i think they are really trying to focus on build building that the system back up but that's like gut feel um all right so i was going to pick the mariners even though they you know just made a trade trading a prospect and a couple of sort of non established big league types um but hey i'm i'm game hey they could even flip eugenio suarez if they wanted to since they just got him um which you know is not necessarily a terrible idea, um, because if you're going to trade for Matt Olson as your third baseman, you know you don't really need a third baseman. Um, but I'm I'm not going to do that. I'm going to say, uh, you know, this, this is a really deep system. Uh, Julio Rodriguez and OLV Marte and George Kirby not going to happen. <laughs> I think they would happily trade Emerson Hancock, uh, but especially since he's banged up again, I don't think that's going to happen. So I'm going to say they're going to trade Matt Brash. Uh, as, as a sort of top 100 area guy um, in terms of recent draft guy that gets a little trickier i think because uh, you know kirby and hancock were you know were, were taken uh in, in back-to-back first rounds and then they took harry ford oh, you know what? i'll throw harry ford in there um although you know i don't know that the a's need you know they already traded for shea langoliers and they have tyler Soderstrom.
2: Harry Ford Um, can play all over the diamond though, Jonathan. That's
3: true. And Soderstrom may end up at first base. Maybe that. uh, All right. So here we go. Matt Brash and Harry Ford. Um, And then I'm going to say that they're going to trade a guy like, um, you know, I just had his name and I forgot to write it down, which is always a kiss of death. Like a a guy like justice Sheffield um, in terms of that big leaguer, who's like not super established, but showing signs. What else do I need? What's the other category?
2: Just a sleeper guy on the rise.
3: A sleeper guy on the rise. Uh, I'm going to say that they're going to trade a guy like... Uh, Give him Bryce Miller. Um, sure, that's you know someone cl- cl- close to the the, the bottom of, of what their list uh, is looking like right now. I was going to go a little higher than that, but uh, Bryce Miller is an interesting uh, right-hander out of the draft as well. Thank you for helping me finish that off. I'm trying to help.
1: All right. So there you go. A couple of trade packages for a couple of teams looking to acquire Matcha. Thanks to Stephen D'Alessio, as often, uh, for that question. And thanks to everybody for listening. That's going to do it for this very full episode of the MLB Pipeline podcast. Thanks to everybody for listening. Don't That's forget great, to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.